0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot and prevent end user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Microsoft's Edge browser has grown by over 1,300% in the past 12 months alone. While the Firefox browser is slowly losing its market share, Edge has grown from a 0.57% market share in March 2020 to 8.03% by March 2021, while Firefox's market share is down about 2.5%. It's probably a surprise to no one, but Chrome remains in a demanding lead for market share at 67.14%, according to an article in BleepingComputer.com this week. AppleInsider.com reported that Oracle's legal action against Google for using thousand lines of code from Java SE's API for use in its development of Android has failed. With the Supreme Court ruling in Google's favor, putting the use of the code under fair use terms. In its ruling, the Supreme Court states Google's copying, quote, only those lines of code that were needed to allow programmers to put their accrued talents to work in a new and transformative program, end quote. I don't know, it might just be me, but I find that sentence or that comment pretty jarring. Does having a talented team who are trying to make a really great piece of software forgive lifting 11 and a half thousand lines of code? I mean, I could understand if it falls under fair use by some definition, but that comment just seems way off. I don't know why they would say that, but there you go. Microsoft have started a new GitHub repository with the intention of documenting and standardizing the latest C-sharp versions. They say you can participate by reviewing the pull requests opening issues for changes that aren't covered and helping refine the language in pull requests if you review it and see something wrong submit a correction it helps everyone not directly enterprise it related but it was such a large story this week that i felt like i should cover it but facebook's user data was somewhat compromised with Data of over 500 million accounts, including names, addresses, phone numbers, employers, and more being scraped by attackers. I don't know if we could really call it attackers, though. And the reason being is because a lot of that information is visible to the public in your accounts if you don't set your privacy settings. And I'm going to have a blog post soon about how this actually is indirectly related to enterprise IT. But... If you're a Facebook user, Troy Hunt has made this scraped data searchable via his site, Have I Been Pwned. You can go there and search your phone number to see if your data was detected amongst the 533 million accounts. Maybe even more in the enterprise wheelhouse, The Verge have reported this week that LinkedIn data has been scraped with an individual selling the data on a hacker form claiming... It was scraped from over 500 million LinkedIn profiles. In a purported sample of 2 million of the profiles that's for sale, LinkedIn members' full names, email addresses, phone numbers, genders, and more were visible. LinkedIn, to their defense somehow, have said that the data includes information from many places and wasn't all sourced from LinkedIn. In a statement, they said, quote, we have investigated an alleged set of LinkedIn data that has been posted for sale and have determined that it is actually an aggregation of data from a number of websites and companies, end quote. The company also contends that no private member account data from LinkedIn was included, which I guess means the scraped data only includes information you'd be able to see on someone's public LinkedIn profile. So while this data being scraped en masse is pretty concerning, you gotta wonder what someone who purchases that data might do with it. It's not maybe to the level of the Marriott breach or Target and different large retailers where sensitive information like credit cards and potentially something like a password might be taken as part of the breach. This is all stuff that people have likely offered up knowingly to the public, although Given the fact that not everyone who uses these services are tech savvy, a lot of people might not have realized they'd put that information out into the public. I guess it's a lesson for a lot of us. Microsoft has released an open-source cyber attack simulator. With the simulator, a bot will traverse your network trying to find weaknesses and ga- try to gain ownership of some segment of your network. While the simulated attack moves through the network, a defender agent watches the network activity to detect the presence of the attacker and to contain the attack. It reads like you're able to discover weaknesses in your environment, set a benchmark, and then try to progress and continuously test yourself to ensure better security. So a pretty good idea, I think. LibbyComputer.com reported that the Pwn to Own competition was being held this week with up to $1.5 million in cash and prizes that include a Tesla Model 3 on offer to those who are able to carry out successful exploits of popular software. During the event, there were successful exploits of Microsoft Exchange, Teams, Windows 10, Apple Safari, Ubuntu, and more. In somewhat good news, as part of the rules of the event, the vendors of software that have been exploited successfully have 90 days to mitigate the issues before it can be disclosed. So congratulations to all those security research groups who won some big money this week. ZDNet this week reported on comments by Lindy Cameron at the National Cybersecurity Center for the US, suggesting that many executives are still not taking cybersecurity seriously enough. She cited cases where employees arrived back into the office on Monday, to find their computers and phone systems don't work because they were hit with an attack and then when they try to restore their phone system for example they are unable to do so because they did not print out a copy of the instructions they were stored on the same computer system that they can no longer access here comes a little bit of a rant from me but i definitely agree that many still aren't taking cybersecurity seriously enough I've worked in organizations of varying sizes over my career, and when working directly on in-house IT teams, I've witnessed security teams being cobbled together as a reaction to major news stories, but with very little thought behind what areas need to be covered the most. I remember being in the office that Friday when WannaCry was running rampant around the world, and having one of the leads in the security team freaking out running around the place it didn't give the most confidence that our systems were secure when the security team is freaking out about a cybersecurity threat that leveraged a protocol that was known to be inherently not safe. For many organizations, if they haven't been targeted yet, the assumption might be that this is due to their security team being great at their jobs. Which, to be fair, in some cases, that could be true. But sadly, some won't realize the cracks that exist in their team and their infrastructure until they are actively attacked, or a previous breach that they don't even know about that has already happened gets uncovered. I think even those who think maybe they have been taking cybersecurity seriously need to rethink and look at their strategies too. If you listen to the podcast each week, you will know why because I'm constantly covering security related stories about breaches and attacks. ZDNet had a pretty interesting article about a report shared by Microsoft on working from home. They report that 52% of IMs sent occurred between 6 p.m. and midnight. 61% of leaders describe themselves as thriving, with only 38% of their staff stating that they are thriving. 37% of employees say companies are making them work too hard. Another 37% worried that their responses would get back to their bosses. And 41% said they wanted to find a new employer. And since I actually scripted this episode of the podcast, I saw that The Guardian in the UK seems to have somewhat weaponized this report for an opinion piece. Granted, I know it's an opinion. It's not necessarily the opinion of The Guardian, but hey, they put it out there. And the article is suggesting that you know large companies like Microsoft, who have these remote access solutions and are able to sell software and have a big increase in profits, are trying to drive this work from home strategy and uh, no one likes it, people aren't productive and all this BS. Like even the ZDNet report, which I like ZDNet and in fairness, they're just kind of reporting data from the report. And even then, to me, it seems kind of without context because people are working from home right now during a pandemic when a lot of people are in lockdown. And also, a work from home strategy doesn't necessarily have to be 100% work from home, or it doesn't even have to be work from home per se. I mean, in 2019, I was working 100% remote, but I opted to spend three days a week working in a co working space. I found that awesome. I really liked having a break from working from home, and it's probably something I will do again in the future. So I would say to those people who are unhappy about working from home maybe don't completely torpedo your chances of having that ability again because there are a lot of benefits when there's not a pandemic and when there's not lockdown and you're able to choose where you work you don't have to be stuck at home so just err on the side of caution for the second time in this podcast history i accidentally cut an entire news story from last week's episode when i was editing it So this next one isn't really news anymore. But last week, Azure had a major outage affecting many different Microsoft services. The root cause was reported to be a code defect that led to DNS getting overwhelmed. On the TV show House, Dr. House always said that it's never lupus. In IT, it's always DNS. According to a bleepingcomputer.com report, an emissions testing company called Atlas Technologies based in Connecticut, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Massachusetts, Utah, and Wisconsin is currently unable to carry out inspections after what they are calling a malware attack. Clearly, this sounds like a ransomware attack, but they stated they don't have a timetable to return as they have to ensure their systems are completely clear of the malware. The terminology being used is a little confusing. The Department of Motor Vehicle agencies in affected states warned that inspections will likely not be available through April 6th and maybe even longer. As the outage prevents vehicle owners from having their cars inspected, there is concern that law enforcement may issue citations for lapsed inspections. And with that in mind, affected states are notifying law enforcement to ask for their cooperation in not issuing tickets for emissions tests that have expired during the outage. No form of business is safe. ZDNet also reported this week that the April 2021 edition of the Tyope Programming Community Index has placed Fortran back in the top 20 programming languages by popularity, jumping from 34th place. The report doesn't indicate why there was a sudden spike in popularity, but I'm guessing there's some major demand out there for it, so that's pretty interesting. Okay, a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week, but Yahoo Answers will be shut down on May 4th. Attempts to browse to Answers will lead you to the Yahoo homepage instead. So farewell to Yahoo Answers. You served the online community pretty well for a while. Heads up to Citrix customers. Citrix Workspace App 1909 is now end of life. So if you're still on that version, definitely time to consider getting upgraded. And finally, in really great news, there's a new date set for E2EVC Hamburg. It's August 6th through the 8th. Alex said the reason for picking that date is because it's the 18 year anniversary since the first E2EVC event in 2003. The plan right now is that it will be in-person and virtual and websites will be updated this week. Congratulations to Alex and the team. I really hope it goes ahead and everything is smooth. My god, I think we're all sick and tired of this lockdown and all this garbage that's been going on. So, best of luck. And now this episode Scripts, Tricks and Tips. The awesome community hero Tim Mangan was interviewed this week about Abv to MSIX migration. MSIX to app Attach conversion, compatibility, and more. So if you're in the application space or just even end-user computing in general, you should check out that interview. And I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 171, and you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. FireEye, who were in the news during the major U.S. government security breach, posted a blog this week on attackers use of Windows background intelligent transfer service, or as it's more commonly known, BITS. In the blog post, they describe how the attackers use the background intelligence transfer service, forensic techniques for detecting attacker activity with data format specifications, public release of their BITS parser tool, and some real world examples of malware using BITS persistence. So pretty interesting if you're into security, which, hey, if you're in IT, everyone has to be now. And also in the security space, Fractal Cyber on GitHub shared a command line executable that can emulate common ransomware functions for the purpose of testing endpoint detection and response tools. So this tool together with the new Microsoft Simulator bot could be pretty useful for testing out your enterprise security. And finally, the great Michael Nehaas had a blog post on automating quick cleanup during your image creation process using a PowerShell script. So this is something I do. I've created my own PowerShell script for my Citrix PVS images. And I also have some PowerShell scripts that I run as control up SBAs, or script based actions, kind of on an ongoing basis. So I have a trigger that's set to run when the servers get to 10 gigs or less of disk space. And for example, on my persistent management servers, my script will do things like clear the SCCM update cache for any updates that are older than seven days because since Microsoft moved to those rollup patches, they take up a significant amount of space. On average, I'm clearing at least seven gigs just by clearing those old updates. But if you don't have a good cleanup script at your disposal yet, you really should get one. You can check the scripts library within the controlup.com site under resources for an example of some. Uh, You can also check out Michael's great script here. And there's so many. You could actually just cobble together your own script and make one that's maybe more tailored for your environment. If you know there's like an application in your environment that does some heavy logging and it should be cleared periodically. Maybe that's something you include in your script. Just make it your own. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. If you have the time and you wouldn't mind, I'd appreciate that you rate the podcast and maybe give a little review on your podcast platform of choice. That'll help circulate it and get it to more people. And as always, thank you so much for listening.